Hey everybody, welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast where we talk about literally everything Kubernetes related from cloud to on-prem to Kubernetes for infrastructure engineers and developers and literally everything in between. My name is Michael Levan. I'm the host of this show and moving forward we will have a ton of guests on but opening the show up, giving the intro, I'm going to be here all by myself. So the one thing that I wanted to break into in this show is explaining what Kubernetes actually is, because I see a wide range of people's opinions really on what Kubernetes is, what it's used for, how it's used, etc. So I'm pretty much bringing the opinion of, you know, from a infrastructure standpoint and from a development standpoint, because I do have an infrastructure background and I also have a development background. I started out my career in systems administration virtualization, all that good stuff. And then I kind of moved into development, writing code, writing software. And then I, you know, transitioned into the SRE DevOps style role, etc., where I started to really dive deep into Kubernetes. And it's been, you know, super interesting ever since. So I've seen it from, you know, both sides of the spectrum. I've been writing the code that got a containerized image that ended up being deployed into Kubernetes. And I've also seen from a infrastructure standpoint, building the clusters from, you know, a cloud perspective, maybe AKS or EKS. And I've also deployed raw Kubernetes clusters. So literally running on, you know, virtualized bare metal or in virtual machines, something like that. So I've definitely seen, you know, the developer portion of it and I've seen the infrastructure portion of it. So that's really what I want to bring to the show. And <laughs> I guess that was my long winded uh, answer as to what this show is actually going to be. It's literally going to be everything from a Kubernetes standpoint. So networking is a huge thing in Kubernetes, operating systems, infrastructure itself, cloud infrastructure, on-prem infrastructure, all that stuff. There's so many different things that kind of go into Kubernetes. And that's really what we're going to cover on this show throughout an entire spectrum of guests with multiple different backgrounds. So with that being said, let's actually dive into what Kubernetes is. So in short, Kubernetes manages your containers and those containers could be running, you know, images or, or container images rather built with Docker, built with Podman, really anything that Kubernetes supports. But we'll kind of, you know, I guess for this discussion, we'll keep the Docker premise kind of going because I feel like that's what most people are using, you know. So a lot of people think that, you know, you could, you know, just build container images with Docker, but that's not the case. There are a ton of other container building image tools out there that you can also use that Kubernetes fully understands. And the reason why is because there's actually a standard called the Open Container Initiative, and that's by the Linux Foundation. So essentially, really anybody could go and build a tool that allows you to build container images like you do with you know, Docker Build, for example. As long as it's following the Open Container Initiative, you're kind of all set there. But again, for the premise of you know this episode, at least, we'll probably dive into others down the, down the road, but for this episode, Let's just, you know, keep the Docker premise because again, I feel like that's kind of what everybody ultimately knows at this point. So taking Docker, let's say you have an application and you want to containerize it. Well, what you would do is, you know, you'd build a Docker file. That Docker file would have things like 
the directory of the application, the commands that are needed to run, the ports, etc. And then you would build a Docker image with a Docker file using a Docker build command. And then you would tag it and you know maybe it would be called nginx web app and then you'd have your container image now to run it you could run it you know literally anywhere that you have docker installed so you know you could use docker desktop you could use mac windows you could install docker desktop on linux you could install it on a server not docker desktop but the docker runtime itself you can install it on a linux server and run your container but here's kind of the problem with that when you run that container, containers by definition are meant to be ephemeral. So once that container dies, you know, once it goes down, nothing is kind of there to get it back up and running. So that's really where Kubernetes comes into play. Kubernetes is your orchestrator. So for example, taking that same Nginx application, maybe I want three replicas of that application running three ways. Well, not ways, I was just about to say ways, but not ways, but replicas, copies, essentially. So maybe you want three copies of that application running. And you also want to be able to maybe scale that application across multiple nodes. That way you have, you know, high availability and redundancy. And you also want some self-healing. So let's say that container goes down. You don't want to get a call at two o'clock in the morning and saying, hey, can you bring this container back up? No, you want a system that will self-heal, will bring it up for you itself. And that's really where Kubernetes comes into play. Now, I know this show is all about Kubernetes, but I do want to stress the fact that Kubernetes is not the only platform or tool, whatever you want to call it, that does this. Kubernetes is an orchestrator and there are other orchestrators out there. There's Docker Swarm, for example. There's Mesos. If we're bringing it back into, you know, Linux sysadmin days, there's LXD, which is the Linux container orchestrator. And then with that, you know, you have LXC, which is Linux containers, and then you can orchestrate them with LXD. So Kubernetes isn't the only, you know, orchestrator out there that kind of does the same thing. However, what I will say is, you know, a few years ago, there was the... <laughs> I guess you can call it the orchestration war, uh, you know, with Kubernetes and Docker, Swarm, etc. And yeah, I mean, I think Kubernetes definitely uh, won the, <laughs> the battle. So when we're thinking about Kubernetes, when we're thinking about orchestration in general, really the gist is, is that it takes your container and it runs it for you, it manages it for you, it self-heals it for you, it scales it out for you, all of that good stuff. Now, I do want to say orchestration, Kubernetes, all of that stuff, it's actually not new. I mean, we've we've kind of been doing everything that's under the hood of Kubernetes for a long time in tech. And with that, what a lot of people don't realize when they're first starting with Kubernetes, because, you know, it's it's hot right now and it's the new sexy thing and everybody likes it and everybody wants to learn it for DevOps and all that good stuff. But there are, I would say, several prerequisites to actually breaking into Kubernetes and like fully understanding it, fully learning it, fully utilizing it. So let's go ahead and talk about what those prerequisites are. So the first prerequisite I would say, and I think this is actually a prerequisite even for Docker. So like building container images, for example, this is a prerequisite there as well, but it's also a prerequisite for Kubernetes. And the first one is 
operating systems. So when you run containers, you're running them on top of essentially a watered down operating system. Really the, the base container image itself, it's either, you know, Linux box or a windows box, but it's not full Linux or windows. It's pretty much stripped out to only what you need. And some commands don't exist. Like funny enough, I think I was uh, playing around with one of the Nginx Docker images the other day, and I was trying to ping pods from inside of pods. Uh, and if you don't know what Kubernetes pods are, uh, you will <laughs> coming up uh, in, in this podcast. But I was trying to ping them just to check communication. And inside of the Nginx Docker image, there was no ping command. <laughs> so point being, these container images are watered down and they're pretty much stripped out to just what you need. However, they are operating systems. So with that being said, let's say you're building a Docker image and in your Docker file, you need to specify the command that you need to run the application. Well, that command is probably gonna be specific to like whatever operating system you're on. So operating systems are definitely crucial. Now it's not only that, but it's also how you're running Kubernetes. So for example, Let's say you're running it, you know, a, a raw Kubernetes cluster. Well, you're probably going to be running it on Linux. And if you are, you're probably going to have to be pretty decent at Linux. And you could also run worker nodes now on Windows boxes. So you're probably going to have to be decent at Windows too. And then there's the troubleshooting aspect. So, you know, worker nodes, there could be some problems with communication, with, for example, the Kubernetes networking, are the nodes able to communicate with each other? Are the nodes able to communicate out if they need to? There's gonna definitely be some troubleshooting in there and the way that you can troubleshoot an operating system and the way that it's working is by knowing the operating system. Now, I'm not saying you need to have 10 years of Linux experience. You know, if you hit up YouTube and you search for, you know, Linux beginner course or something like that and you find a couple hour one, That'll definitely be enough to, you know, ultimately get you started. Now, going on the other side of the spectrum of operating systems, there is infrastructure. And I'm, you know, again, a firm believer that understanding infrastructure is ridiculously crucial when it comes to Kubernetes because you could be running it on bare metal on virtual machines in a hypervisor like ESXi or Hyper-V, uh, EC2 instances, Azure virtual machines if you're using Kubernetes in the cloud. So that's all underlying infrastructure. And at one point or another, <laughs> you're gonna be required to troubleshoot it. You know, you don't wanna have to RDP or SSH into the servers, but you know what? Sometimes you might have to. I'll give you an example. This was just a few weeks ago. I was using a Kubernetes cluster on Equinix Metal which is like virtualized bare metal, I think is the best way to describe it. And I was deploying Kubernetes, but the underlying networking, which there's a few components, but I was specifically looking at the DNS and um, inside of Kubernetes, it's just using core DNS as it's DNS, it's just built in, but that wasn't working. The pod for core DNS was not coming up. So you know what? I had to SSH in and I had to troubleshoot and I had to figure out what was going on from a networking perspective. Now, the other piece of this is the architecture side. So if you are planning how you're gonna run Kubernetes, how many worker nodes, how many replicas you need, what your high availability looks like, what your DR policy looks like, are you running in multiple regions? Are you running in multiple data centers? It's all infrastructure related stuff. 
And you have to ultimately understand that. Now, what I will say is, depending on the you know environment that you're in, there could be a split where developers kind of focus on you know one piece of Kubernetes and then infrastructure people focus on the other. But in my experience, and maybe your experience is different, I'd love to hear from you. But in my experience, it's kind of like the same team doing it. <laughs> so it's either like the SRE team or you know the DevOps team, especially in a smaller company. Like for example, if you go into a 50 to 100 person company, there's not going to be, you know, this person just does Kubernetes manifests. This person just build Docker images. This person just deals with the infrastructure. No, chances are you're probably going to be on a team where you're doing, you know, D all of the above. So unless your job is just writing code, you know, and if you're, you know, if you're trying to dump into the DevOps space, yeah, you know what, you're probably going to have to know infrastructure. Now, the next bit here is storage. Now I'm pretty much guaranteeing that at some point you're going to have to deal with some type of stateful application. Now, if you're not familiar with, you know, the difference between stateful and stateless, pretty much think of stateless as for example, you know, just a website that you reach. And then when you close your browser and then you reopen your browser and you go to the website, well, it's, you know, it's, it doesn't just pick up where you left off. And then a stateful application, what I like to think of is like Gmail or Outlook or whatever, you know, when you log into Gmail and then you log out and you log back in, all of your emails are still there, right? Like they're, it, everything isn't just wiped out and you're just starting from, from scratch essentially like you would when you're just reaching a website. Well, that's stateful information. That, that stateful data is being stored somewhere and there's a lot of applications that are stateful. Now, I, I sometimes hear the argument of, you know, Kubernetes isn't ready for stateful applications, uh, but in my experience, it 100% is. And there are a lot of pieces there that you can use, like volumes, for example, are not specifically for stateful applications, but you can use volumes to, for example, save database data. You could even do it for pictures or audio clippings or, you know, pretty much anything that you want. And again, you know, I'm not saying that you need to be a storage expert and, you know, been a storage administrator for the past 10 years, but you should understand the way storage works from, you know, on-prem storage, S3 buckets, Azure file shares, really, you know, pretty much anything like that. And I'm certainly not a, uh, you know, hardcore DBA or anything by any means, but you know what? I'm happy that I learned databases because there's going to be a lot of times where you're dealing with, you know, applications that are containerized that need backend databases. So that's a very big thing too. Now going into, you know, uh, the next topic that I arguably think is, it comes up over and over again for me. So I arguably think that it's one of the, I don't want to say the most important, but it's like really up there is networking. There is so much networking in Kubernetes from the cluster communication to the outbound communication to the inbound communication to pod to pod networking to container container networking to applications talking to each other applications talking inbound app to app applications talking outbound you having the ability to hit your web app that's running in Kubernetes point being there is a lot of it. You know, a lot of the times you're going to have to communicate and send data and receive data from one backend Kubernetes application to another. There's going to be public facing apps like some websites that are running in Kubernetes. 
anytime that I'm in Kubernetes doing something, deploying an app, dealing with the infrastructure, dealing with the clustering, anything, I'm dealing with networking. So if you're not familiar with networking, what I would highly, highly recommend is go pick up a Network Plus book. You don't have to do the CompTIA certification, but picking up that book will be super helpful. Or, you know, look up Network Plus course on YouTube or something like that if you're more of an auditory learner. The next prerequisite here is security. <laughs> yes, security is, of course, important in all aspects of tech, but security is, you know, definitely <laughs> important when it comes to Kubernetes. Now, again, this does not mean that, you know, you have to be a red hat hacker uh, taking down the FBI <laughs> or something like that, but you do need to understand how to deploy applications and clusters in a secure fashion. So here are a few tips from a security standpoint that, you know, I, I would ultimately recommend you start at. First, ensure you have a solid grasp of role-based access controller RBAC and, you know, giving users, you know, authorization access and all of that good stuff. Now, the next is API security. So who's accessing the API? For example, what pods are, you know, hitting the, the Kubernetes API? Firewalls and encryption. So again, you know, thinking about that application that is public facing that people are hitting from all over the world. Maybe you don't want it to be on port 80, for example. Maybe you just want it to be on uh, port 443 so you get, you know, some secure connections there instead of, you know, open connections. Audit logging. So there's a ton of logging uh, in Kubernetes and there's lo uh, audit logging ultimately built in. So understanding who's logging into the cluster, understanding who's doing what is a big part. The next is again around the API. So Kubernetes, and, and again, we're going to talk about this, but Kubernetes is essentially an API. Anytime that you're interacting with Kubernetes via kubectl, the, the command, via applications that you're deploying with Kubernetes manifest, you are nine times out of 10 interacting with the API. And because of it's an API, there are updates that come out. And those updates may have some security updates. So you may have to ultimately think about that. Now, whether you're running on-prem or in the cloud, you're ultimately responsible for updating the Kubernetes API. So you'll have to really think about that and, and understand the API. And speaking of the, the Kubernetes API, yeah, I, everything that you do in Kubernetes, pretty much you're hitting the API, you're reaching out to the API, you're communicating with the API. So I would definitely get a good grasp and understanding of what the API is underneath. Now, the next prerequisite here, I've, <laughs> I've definitely gotten some heat on uh, when I've mentioned it on the, the good old social media, but I also, I think it's very important. And what I'm referring to is programming. Now, I want to stress, you don't need to be a hardcore programmer and build the next Twitter or the next Instagram. However, you need to understand application level stuff. So like if you're deploying an application to Kubernetes, uh, it's almost certain you will have to troubleshoot at some point. So if you don't have debugging experience, you're going to fall short of the needs of ultimately deploying Kubernetes. Now, the next one that I understand is, and, and this is coming from, you know, let's say you're just learning Kubernetes right now, or you're just getting into an organization that's using it or utilizing it. If you're just starting out, chances are <laughs> you're going to need an application to deploy. 
you know, that's, that's the whole point, right? You're going to need to containerize an application. So my question to you that I want you to think about is, do you really want to rely on applications that someone wrote on, you know, GitHub? Not to mention that even if an application is written on GitHub, you're still probably going to have to do some work to, to prepare it and get it deployed to Kubernetes. So really the idea is like, do you really want to rely on others? And, you know, hopefully the answer is no, you don't because, you know, you want to be able to get in there and deploy what you want to deploy and manage it how you want to manage it and all that good stuff. So, you know, just learn some basic Python, learn some basic Go and build a small web app that just literally returns some text and says, hello world. Like that's all you need, but you should definitely get some programming in number one, because, you know, again, you need to understand how applications work if you're going to deploy them how to troubleshoot them. And ultimately you don't want to be waiting for others to get an application ready for you to start on your Kubernetes journey. Now I would say, you know, the next thing from a programming perspective is understanding code itself and understanding how to write code because you're going to be writing Kubernetes manifests a lot. Now, <laughs> before I get roasted, I know YAML isn't a programming language, but you know, that's just a reference to pretty much everything you need to do in Kubernetes that's code related. You know, it, it's all code related. Now the next one is automation. So when you're thinking about all of the, the benefits that Kubernetes gives you, orchestrating your applications, self-healing them, all that good stuff, you have to kind of think, all right, cool, but how the heck do I get an application out there on this whole Kubernetes thing? Well, you definitely don't want to sit at your terminal and just run kubectl apply minus f kubernetes deployment.yaml all day because well, you know, number one, you need to be able to share it with your team. Number two, other people on the team need to be able to deploy it. And number three, you don't want to be a single point of failure. So how can you kind of think about, you know, this from an automation standpoint? Well, what I would say is because it's super popular in the DevOps space is CICD. So, you know, continuous integration and continuous deployment slash delivery. If you started with that from an automation standpoint, you should be in pretty good shape. Now, the other one that's I would say arguably more important than CI/CD in the Kubernetes space is GitOps. GitOps is more of an advanced level topic. So if you're just starting out, uh, I mean, give it a shot. Like, sure, why not? Give it a whirl. But if you can't figure it out, you know, it's totally fine. You know, just take the time to learn it, but maybe start out with CI/CD. Now, the last but not certainly not least, because I feel like we've been talking about this pretty much throughout this entire discussion here is troubleshooting now troubleshooting is <laughs> just as important in my opinion as networking because here's the thing about troubleshooting you can't just like read a book about troubleshooting i mean yeah there's like tips and tricks around troubleshooting and you know how you do it and all that good stuff but to really understand troubleshooting like you got to do it. You got to be in the trenches, really, you know, turning your brain on and diving in. And Kubernetes, there's going to be a lot of troubleshooting from a networking standpoint, from an infrastructure standpoint, from an operating system standpoint, from a app standpoint. It's going to be a lot of troubleshooting. So if you are in, you know, a help desk role right now, or if you're in a sysadmin role right now or something, you're already doing a lot of troubleshooting. You know, I would say, it definitely takes a few years to get like really good at troubleshooting. And the reason why I say that, I don't like to put years behind things because I don't think years equals experience at all. But in this case, I do believe that you got to be in the trenches for a little bit to like 
really understand troubleshooting. Even Googling around, like funny enough, I'd, I'd argue that Googling around is a, it's an art kind of, you know, like understanding what keywords to search, understanding how to phrase things so you get the proper returns back when you're troubleshooting, all of that good stuff. How to look through logs, you know, how to understand what logs are what, where they're going, what they're referring to. It's all troubleshooting and it's super, super crucial from a Kubernetes standpoint. So with that, let's go ahead and wrap up our first episode here. If you've been listening the entire time, I, I really do appreciate it. Hopefully this wasn't too much of a ramble. Hopefully that, you know, you learned something here and this was helpful to you. And I ultimately, you know, really appreciate you listening. Now moving forward in this podcast, we are definitely going to have a bunch of guests on. And if I can't, you know, find guests to cover every episode, then I'll make sure that I bring you something jam-packed with information, you know, kind of like I did today. So with that, thank you so much for listening to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast. I really do appreciate it. We certainly appreciate it over here at the Packet Pushers Network, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody.